Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Well, several weeks ago, Sam Gardner asked me to talk about identity, and I appreciate Sam asking me to do this because it's given me a time to think about my own identity and how it's changed, how it's evolved throughout my life. And to think about um, kind of who I've become today, what my identity is now. Well, to begin with, I was born in Flint, Michigan. Right, Dion? There he is over there, Flint. Um, and we lived there in the suburbs for about five years. Um, after that, we moved to Orland Park, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, and I went from kindergarten to uh, through high school there. And the first identity I had that I remember was in grade school where I was the class clown. You know, some of you think that's hard to believe, but that's what I, I was. My best friend during that time, he was kind of the idea man, and he would tell me to, what to do, and then I would do it, make everyone laugh in class, except the teacher. And uh, either I would get away with it, or when I got caught, I got sent to the principal's office. But during that time, I was just an average student. Um, I played baseball, I wrestled through junior high, and then I went to high school. And we went to a, I went to a big high school. It was a 5A high school, five, 4,000 students. And while I was there, I was on the swim team. I wrestled. I ran track. I was recruited to play football. I played tailback and defensive back. But the big thing I was into was weightlifting. I started to grow. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was my hero. Six times a week, I was weightlifting, split routines. I was in the cool crowd in the high school. So my identity was an athlete, a football player. My friends and I, we would get invited to the cool kids party on Friday and Saturday nights. And even though those years might seem vain and superficial, they did give me somewhat of a self-confidence in myself, improved my self-worth, my self-esteem. As far as my spiritual life and developing a spiritual identity, that started in junior high. We went to the Park Forest Church of Christ. Wayne Hawley, that's Glenn Hawley's oldest brother, was our youth minister. And after church on Sunday night, we'd always go out for pizza and then over to someone's home for a devotional. On Monday nights, Wayne had a Bible study that he called Dianoia that I would go to. And I learned a lot about being a godly man through, throughout junior high and high school due to my time with Wayne Holly. I became a leader in our youth group. Well, after graduating from high school, I went to uh, college at Abilene Christian University. It was in West Texas. And my first two years, I was not a good student. College was about having fun. It wasn't about learning. It wasn't about studying. 
Almost every night I would go out to these country western dance clubs, dancing, learning the Texas two-step, meeting girls, and I wouldn't get back till about two or three in the morning. It was so bad that sometimes I would miss lunch in the cafeteria because I was still sleeping. So my identity, my first two years of college, included being a cowboy and having fun. But towards the end of my sophomore year, a friend of mine in the dorm invited me to be his partner in the MARC program. This was a program that ACU students had where they could go and spend two years on a mission field working with missionaries. And they sent us to Nigeria, West Africa. Dr. Henry Fair, who was from Lebanon, Tennessee, lived full-time in Nigeria and built this hospital back in the 1960s. And for two years, I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Fair in the operating room. And I learned a lot. I assisted Dr. Fair on all the surgeries. And by the end of my two years there, I was doing my own hernia operations. We had two operating tables in the operating room, and I would be on one table and he would be on the other, and if I ever needed help, he would come over and kinda tell me what to do. So we had a motto um, at the uh, Nigerian Christian Hospital, Brent, you'll know that, right? See one, do one, teach one, right? So in Nigeria, I spent a lot of time in the Word. I was reinventing myself. I was looking for a purpose. I started asking the big questions in life. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? What is God calling me to? What's my purpose? What's my mission statement? What is my identity? And one day I was reading in the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> so here's our brother Paul in prison with chains on his hands and feet. And he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And if you turn the page, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. And the light bulb came on. That was it. That's my purpose. That's my calling. That's my mission statement, to be an imitator of God.
And the more I read in the New Testament, the more I kept, I kept seeing this. 1 Peter 1, 15, 16. But as he who has called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. After the Beatitudes, and Jesus talks about loving your neighbor and loving your enemy, and to pray for those who persecute you, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I found my purpose. I found my mission statement. Be an imitator of God. That's what I want my identity to be. Be holy as he is holy. Be perfect as he is perfect. Do any of us ever achieve that? No. But it lights our path. It informs our decisions, our choices that we make. So after two years in Nigeria, I came back to Abilene Christian University, and I decided I wanted to be a physician. So I became a biochemistry major. I had to go four more years at ACU. I had to retake all the classes that I made Ds in and turn those into As. I had to study for the MCAT. Then I, then I applied to all seven of the Texas medical schools. I got accepted to six of them, and I chose Baylor, which was my first choice. My wife, Holly, who I met at ACU, we were married July 1st, 1989, and I started medical school August 1st. So then, my identity evolved and included being a husband and being a medical student. During medical school, I enjoyed learning about the brain, studying neuroscience. So I graduated from medical school. I did a one-year internship in Roanoke, Virginia. Holly and I had a black lab that we called Hey Girl, and we had a great year there. The Appalachian Trail was close by, the Blue Ridge Parkway was close. And after that year, we moved to Iowa City, Iowa, and I became a neurology resident at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Well, at the close of my first year, I remember coming home and going straight to bed. I'd been up all night, I was on call. And Holly runs into the bedroom and says, Stanley Ship is on the phone, and he wants to talk to you. Do any of you know Stanley Ship? Okay. And Stanley, Stanley Ship has a missionary program uh, training in uh, St. Louis. Max Lucado had gone there. And Stanley says, I want you to move to Haiti and start a preacher training school. And I said, why me? I mean, I don't even have a Bible degree. 
But that's how it all started. So after much prayer, after much discussion and soul searching and visiting with Stanley and Marie in St. Louis, Holly and I decided to move to Haiti and start a preacher training school. So I took a leave of absence from the University of Iowa and Holly and I moved to Haiti. We ended up staying there four years. We had 12 young men that we trained to be preachers. Our preacher training school was on the um, southeast of Cap Haitian, which is the north, northern coast of Haiti. And it's the second largest city in Haiti. So my identity evolved again to become the director of this preacher training school. It was a great four years. It was a hard four years. But we lived with and taught with and laughed and cried with 12 amazing young men that we still stay in touch with today. In fact, my wife Holly is in Haiti as, we, as I speak. It wasn't always easy. Sometimes it was downright hard and dangerous. There were times it was unsafe, especially the first year that we moved there. Roving bands of armed robbers preyed on missionaries and wealthy Haitians. When we were living there, there were no cell phones. So missionaries had CB radios. Every morning, we turn on our CB radio and see if everyone had survived the night. If missionaries had been robbed, then we would go over and comfort them and help them the best we could. Sometimes they would meet, they would need medical attention and I would do what I could. It got so bad that the U.S. ambassador called a meeting of all the Americans living in northern Haiti. We met at one of the nice hotels in Cap Haitian, and we were all sitting around in this big circle, and, and as we were going around and the missionaries were telling their story, every other one, 50% of all the missionaries, expatriates, had been robbed or attacked. Our close friends, the Moxons, Bill and Darla Moxon, they had been attacked. They were friends from Abilene Christian. After they were attacked, I went over to their compound and I asked Bill if he wanted to come and stay with us for a while. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, we've already been attacked. They're not coming back here. You guys might ne be next. Well, a few nights later, Fon Rose, who was my right-hand man, kind of like the dean of students at the school, came knocking on my door at midnight. Fortunately, Holly and Thomas were back in the US and Fonro says, Zenglindo, they're here, Zenglindo. That means armed robbers. And we looked out the window and we saw three or four pickup trucks loaded with men, had assault rifles, 
and they stopped just in front of our gate. They were trying to decide if they wanted to come in or not. But fortunately for us, they drove off. Well, the next morning, some people from the Catholic orphanage just down the street brought two, two teenage girls that had just been raped the night before. And they brought this 80-year-old Catholic nun who ran the orphanage, who they had hit over the head with a machete. So we treated them the best that we could, asked them if they wanted to stay with us. But they said no, they needed to get back to the children at the orphanage. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice. 1 John 3, 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we all know what crosses are for. Well, after that night, I had always had problems falling asleep. I knew if they came back, I would be the one taking the bullet. I was the director. My staff and students, they were my responsibility. Our American visitors that would come to help were under my protection. And the only way I could get to sleep at night is if I could come to peace with dying that night. And it was hard. I had a new wife. I had a new baby boy. It was hard to come to peace with dying. Well, over time, things got better. After a few months, we heard the police found these armed robbers and the Zenglandos and disposed of them. We had a lot of American teams that came and worked with us in Haiti. Most of these were medical teams, and they'd usually stay with us for about a week. So we built some guest rooms, dorm rooms, and uh, we would accommodate them. Stanley's ship would also bring a group about twice a year. So after four years, Holly Thomas and I decided to move back to the States. We moved to Bristol, Pennsylvania, and I became a full-time minister. We had a great time there. We uh, were at the Lower Bucks Church of Christ, and I started a ministry working with recovering heroin addicts. They would come to church, and then after church in the evenings and during the, the school week, they would come over to our house and hanging out, feeding our kids, changing diapers. I decided to go 
I decided to not go back into medicine because I realized that the kind of medicine I like to practice was the kind of medicine I did on the mission field in Nigeria and Haiti, where we'd go to a village where we could hang out, where we could talk to people for you know hours or have Bible studies with them, build a relationship with them. The mission field was more like how Jesus did it. So we had seven great years with the Lower Bucks Church of Christ, but because of the area we were living in, the heroin abuse, we knew we didn't want to raise our kids there. Long story short, we moved to Rifle, Colorado, and I preached there for seven years. It was a beautiful place to live, and we'd probably still be there, but the Lord had other plans. Brent Magner, right here, who we had connections from Abilene Christian in Nigeria, called me and asked if I would move to York, Nebraska and teach biology at York College. And honestly, I didn't give it much thought, but after a few months, we took a leap of faith and moved here nine years ago. And again, my identity changed, and now I was the biology professor. Preach, teach, heal. These were the three things that Jesus did. And now I'm doing the teaching thing. Let's all ask ourselves, who am I? What do I want to be? What am I called to be? What identity would God want me to have? And then pray about it, and then go for it. Thank you. Have a blessed day.